0: I'm Alexi, member here at Corpus Christi Anglican. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this morning. We ask that these words written to the Colossians long ago would be written afresh to us in this day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we are in a series on the book of Colossians. Last week, Father Morgan asked us to think about what does it mean to suffer for the right reasons? to suffer with Christ. St. Paul is writing his letter to the Colossians from prison, and so he cons- he asks the Colossians to think about suffering and what it means to suffer. In this week, we get a series of admonitions from verse 6 through 15, which I'll walk us through in a series of teachings that are very relevant for our day. But first, I'd like us to think a little bit about Colossae. Colossae doesn't exist today as a major city. So unlike some of our cities that we have letters and epistles to, you can go to Colossae today, and what you'll see is just a road in Turkey. It has not been a very well excavated site, so we don't know as much about what was in Colossae, whether we assume that it had a synagogue because of the nature of the letter and the nature of the admonitions, but we don't quite know all of the ins and outs, what temples were relevant in the city of Colossae. But if you think about this, Colossae is a, um, it's a city up in the mountains. It's a city up in these higher plains. So I'd like you to imagine, as we're thinking about this, I'd like you to imagine waking up as a Christian in Colossae, maybe on a morning, not unlike today, hopefully a little less humid, because you're up in the mountains. But I'd also like you to think, well, what would life have been like when we received a letter from St. Paul? So I'd like you to think about waking up early. I'd like you to think about the sound of sheep, since there are sheep in this part of the world. And I'd like you to think about what it would mean to be part of a small group that's gathering, uh, opening up this letter from St. Paul. Colossi is not... Um, I mean, there's some speculation that it was on a trade route of some sort, but in many ways, it's, it's not a uh, overly significant place. And so it's, it's written. We have this beautiful letter written to a place that is being encouraged to live out the Christian life. In many ways, the Colossians faced a choice. They faced a choice about what they would worship they faced a choice about what their lives would be like. So in Colossians, similar to many Roman era cities, I want you to imagine that many, the the big thing that we'd be worried about if we were in Colossians was, I mean a bit timely, plague, disaster, the water going bad, disease, trade going poorly, robbery, thievery, the destruction of property. And so what would often happen in these places in the Roman world is the gods served as the protection. So why did you pay fidelity to the gods? Why did you have these feast days? Why would you do anything related to the gods? Well, the gods in many ways protected us from plague, disease, calamity. And they were very uh, participatory places. So when if we were in Colossae and we were asked to give... Uh, you know, our kind of weekly or yearly or quarterly due, it would have been a festival occasion, meaning everyone would have come out, except maybe for the Jews. (laughs) They would not have participated. And so if you were adding yourself to a group of people who would not participate in these festivals, it was very noticeable. It was very noticeable. And a tendency in the early era, era when there was calamity was to blame the Christians. Why? Because they had upset the gods. As Bishop N.T. Wright puts it, in this era of the life of the ancient world, the gods were not seen as you know up in the sky the way we might have been taught them in school if you had a classical education. The Greek gods, the Roman gods weren't seen as uh, just different things you thought about. They were seen as inhabitants of the city. They were seen as inhabitants just like you and I were inhabitants. So the thinking went, we have these invisible inhabitants in our city. We must not upset them. If we upset them, they will do things either mischievous or terrible to us. This is why we needed to do certain things for them. So if all of us weren't on board, the gods were clearly unhappy. You can see then why in this early era, the Colossians would have, you know, they would have at this point had... These teachings of Jesus being taught to them, so you can imagine the Sunday morning, maybe when we received Paul's letter, someone would have given a teaching about the Lord's prayer, which we just heard. And in the Gospel of Luke, we hear the Lord's prayer in this in, in our reading today. This real persistence to keep asking, keep asking, and be persistent, which would have been pretty significant. You might have in your week found someone you had to keep asking. Maybe there was a debt. Maybe there was an unsettled matter for trade. There's all sorts of things, the ways you would connect with other people. And so in the Colossians experience to be a Christian, Paul, as Father Morgan reminded us last week, asks us to think about what it means to share in his suffering. And this week he's giving us a series of teachings. So I'm going to get us into the text. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. I'm going to just pause this for this first part. Because in the text today, the first part in many ways is really focused on the worship of other gods. And the second part is really focused on a second thing the colossians were dealing with, which is the Jews in the city were saying, "Why not become Jewish? <laughs> you say he's the Messiah, we don't agree with that. Come to temple. You don't need to be doing following this Jesus fellow." So Paul is talking to two different temptations that they're facing. I'm going to relate one of them to us today. But why is Paul focused on authority? Why is Paul focused on rule? Well, I want to go back and posit to you that one of the reasons he's talking about rule and authority in such emphasis, not only because we believe that Jesus is King and Lord, but so much in the ancient world, in terms of your worship, involved authority and power. Imagine the mayor of Colossae knocking on your door. Are you going to come to the temple worship tomorrow? Are you going to come out to the festivities? And you have to say, oh no, I've become a follower of Jesus. I'm not showing up. (laughs) Imagine the tension you feel with that. And imagine the tension that Christians today feel in similar circumstances when their faith and their worship is under a similar kind of scrutiny. We've had testimony of that in our midst. This continues unto this day. But how do we relate this to the American context? I'm gonna push us out of Colossae for a minute and think about being in D.C. It's interesting that one of the passages today was out of Genesis, the Sodom and Gomorrah passage, where Abraham is pleading to God, And I will tell you, friends, that in the country today, many people view Washington as Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) In our politics, they really do. They really do. They're not sure if 30 righteous people exist in D.C. Now, we as Christians know there are plenty of righteous people in Washington being in this context. But I want you to get a sense of, well, where are we? Just as the Colossians had this context Where they, from different types of ethnicities, are being called into one people. They are being taught to live their baptismal vows, to understand that they've died with Christ, and that they've been raised into new life, and to be a new people, to be salt and light, to not participate in the very essence of their city, is a lot of what Paul is talking about. What do we say as contemporary American Christians in the Washington, D.C. area? So I wanna give us a little bit of context. Well, what is our American context? Our American context is that we are, all of us, many of us have heritage with many kinds of Christian groups who came here some 40 years ago, some a few hundred years ago, but many of us have immigrant stories that are really based in a Christian expression. Now, what is the American culture, however? If Paul was writing his letter to the people of Springfield, To you, dear church, what might he say about this tendency of society to morph our affections? Well, in the American context, our affections are really focused in two directions. I'd say two temptations, and so I'll introduce the first one related to the less religious side. One temptation we have as Washingtonians, one temptation we have as Americans is to idolize the self. Can you feel that, friends? To idolize self-comfort. And we actually even use how we talk to each other and what we don't say around this, right? Anything that's seen as impeding on the self, impeding on your self-expression, impeding on what you might desire, either economically or personally for yourself, is really seen as very offensive in American culture. To be too nosy, we even have that phrase, right? It would be too nosy to impede on me too much. And so I think Paul, if he were writing to us, as he is for the Colossians, would say, friends, break free from this idol. Break free. You don't have to worry about yourself. Yourself has been secured in Jesus. You don't have to worry about your self-expression. It's been secured in Jesus. You don't have to worry about your ultimate glorious end. It's been secured in Jesus. And so the question is not, how do I avoid being impinged on? The question for us, I think Paul would posit, is how do I join a community? How do I, going back to last week, how do I then let the church and the Christian life impede on what I want? To put it a little bit more simply. And to reorient my affections. Many churches in this area and across the country often face this in a real way. I was at a church not three years ago where the temptation for the congregation was, well, do I go to service or I go to soccer practice? <laughs> what is that? Well, it's the sense of idolizing of self. And I think Paul would gently remind us, throw off the things that impede. Throw off the things that impede your ability to participate in the life of the community. Trust that as you throw it off, Christ has secured something much more precious to you, much more precious for you. And in many ways, as Anglicans, what we say is with the Book of Common Prayers, we're taking the best of Christian expression throughout many cultures and saying, these are the disciplines, these are the patterns of life that make for sober living. It's a bit of an old fashioned phrase, but make for right living, make for the sort of living that lays down some framework and some foundation. In essence, Christ isn't just a wonderful devotion. He's worth giving your life and affection to every day. And that's the security. I think Paul, in this first section where he's talking about the idols of the culture, if he were writing to us, he'd, he'd press in in this area. Now let's take the second half here. In him also you were circumcised with a circus, circumcision made without hands. I'm going to pause here to just kind of give you some, some pieces here. Paul's directly countering something that probably the Colossians are hearing. And they're probably hearing, if you are following the one God, i.e. the Jewish God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you must be circumcised. That is the beginning before you say you are following the one God. And Paul's saying, no, (laughs) you were already circumcised in the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision, circumcision of Christ. What he's saying is by your commitments, your commitments to abstain from the flesh, your commitments, your baptism in Christ, you've already had that circumcision that marks you as community. In other words, there are Christian ethical callings that we are asked to follow even in this day. And that is part of our drawing away from from a works-based religion. Having been buried with him in baptism, you may notice this language also from Romans 6. (laughs) It's a very popular part of Paul's argumentation, how we're baptized, we're dead and buried in Christ through our baptism, the baptism marks a life transition. This is very important because in, in many ways, what Paul will go on to in this letter, the new moons and the festivals and the festivities. How do, how do I put this succinctly? The, the, the Jewish people in their observance of the law saw themselves as abstaining from sin. Okay, they saw themselves as abstaining from sin. So all in that abstaining was um, 360 view, (laughs) meaning sunrise to sunset and all the circumstances that you might find yourselves in, the, the ethical ones and what ought we to do. It was a series of how do we how do we avoid sin by our behavior? How do we avoid it? And therefore, we are following the law. The law lets it down. Our interpretation of the law is the application. And Paul is saying, no, your baptism ended the question. It sets you free from observing the micro detail And so if you're Colossians, you're hearing from one end, okay, you're Jewish. You're not nearly Jewish enough. (laughs) There are many things that you're not observing. And Paul is saying it's sufficient. Your baptism was sufficient. Your life in Christ has been secure. I'll go on here. Um, And you were... Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul is laying aside that, no, your baptism in Christ's work on the cross have set you free from the legal precepts that are being asked of you by your Jewish neighbors. He's saying that Christ's work is sufficient. Christ in you is sufficient. And I want to draw us back a little bit since we've been a bit petty the last few minutes. Go back to listening. You, you're, we're in Colossae Sunday morning. The sheep are making their sounds. You're up early. You're meeting with a group, maybe 10, maybe 15, maybe 20. They come with a letter from Paul. And you're really trying to figure out what is this Christian life, right? It seems to have a lot less rules, (laughs) a lot less festivities. But somehow I'm being asked to make a change in my heart. I'm listening to the teachings of Jesus. Maybe that morning with... One imaginative imaginative thing is I heard the teachings of the Lord's Prayer. Simple prayer. Maybe another teaching I'm hearing about canceling debt. And the mercy of canceling debt. And I start thinking to myself, ah, I'm in charge of a lot. Maybe I should cancel some old debts. Wow, this is really risky. This seems to have rules that are are based in love, but that are infectious. It's supposed to really change how I live my life. And so I'm going to go cancel a debt on someone. They're going to say, why are you doing this? And I'm going to say, well, I love Jesus. And they're going to look at me like they don't, I, they, I don't, they don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> because literally, the stories of Jesus, I have probably the only one that has heard them of my friends. So then I have to say, well, in Jesus, the fullness of God bodily dwelt," <laughs> And you realize what a miraculous work of the spirit testimony was for the early church in Colossae. As I start moving us towards the close, what is the second half as it relates to the church in Washington, the church in Springfield, the church in America? I would say our, our religious temptation today comes in a few different forms. One is to overly politicize our faith because an American second best religion is politics. <laughs> I'm reminded of that lately, just, you know, maybe like you, travel has opened up. You're being able to connect with more people. That's been a part of your rhythms. And I'm I'm shocked by how often politics comes up. I, I work in the political field. I don't tend to bring it up, but it comes up a lot in conversations. And so I'm shocked by that. And there's a particular narration that goes with this. And I think Paul would tell us, don't get so caught up in the fortunes of empires Uh, We never really have been. Empires have come and gone. Many Christian groups have come and gone. But Jesus is forever. Base your identity on something a little bit more sturdy. It's not to say don't get involved, but don't make your identity about this. Your identity, your worship should be closer to God nurturing your character than it should be about the ins and outs. This gets to my second point, which is I think Paul would write to us and say... Um, take your baptism community membership a bit more deeply. So, he may go back to basic teachings of Jesus. When I was poor, feed me. <laughs> when I was ill and in prison, you visited me. Now, I'm not saying let's create a new works righteousness. That's not what I'm saying. But in your life, each of you has been placed. You will go out from this place into a life that has its own character. The question is, where is God asking me to deepen his love and to be a conduit for his love? And it's not a guilt-ridden exercise. It's not really the point of the Christian life to make you feel guilty about all the things you didn't do this week. The point is, what are the steps I can take to be consistent in my character just as Christ is consistent towards me? How does the Holy Spirit disciplines the love of community? And can I enter into community where we can really see ourselves as being a community for the city, a community for the circumstances we find ourselves in, a community for the people that we encounter. I'll end with this. I think this is a, a more common expression. We had a, uh, it, it's a relative's, it's a relative, but it's, it's not our side of the family, it's the other side of the family that's gotten married to. And uh, recently, she has fallen very ill. And there's no one to visit her in the hospital, no clergy to visit her. And what I think to myself is, you know, that person lives in a different part of the United States. But what I think to myself is, how is Corpus Christi a community of people that can pray? Because, you know, Father Morgan can't fly on a moment's notice to another part of the country. God bless you. I know you would. But how can we pray that, that the family would find the right person to visit this person before they pass? Right. And I think about that. I think about how do we envision community as the relationships we found ourselves in and how do we envision the church's expression as a supportive community of prayer so that all these things that are happening in our world and society today have a Christian witness that is rooted in love and rooted in Christ. And I think Paul, when he's looking at uh, two different temptations for the Colossians, one is a temptation of culture. One is a temptation of religion. He's really saying, and he's saying to us, the Christian life has been secured in Christ. It's been secured in Christ through baptism and through Christ's work on the cross. And therefore, being his new creation, begin to be community together. Colossae doesn't exist anymore. I can't say what will happen in our world. What I can say is the witness of Colossi the witness of those Christians in God's economy, God's view was salt and light to this community. And so are you in this week, salt and light to the people that you relate to. And so be thinking this week, how can I invite Christian family from Corpus Christi into prayer for the needs that I face? And it's a shift. It's a shift made possible by our baptism through the work on the cross, by the Holy Spirit, Made in weakness, as Paul would say. This is not a sense, of, it's not a plan for, for uh, hard work. It's a plan for grace to inhabit the heart so that we're more attentive to all the circumstances that we face. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to the church in all ages. And we ask that you would be faithful to your church here, Corpus Christi Anglican, the Anglican Church in North America, and our brothers and sisters in other communions who are one with you, even if we haven't figured that out on earth. We ask that you would be with us this week. Help us to see where you are and to invite community into the process, just as Paul was urging the Colossians to form a new identity in a world that was not recognizing your work. Help us be conduits of your grace. Pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.